remembering the words of this song, we also turn to these pages of Scripture, Matthew chapter 3, the verses 1 to 12. Matthew chapter 3, the verses 1 to 12. We will read this in connection with our Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 32. Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Therefore every tree which which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, the portion of this that we'll be focusing on, the next two Lord's Days, will be on the question of repentance and conversion of man. And the portion of this scripture passage that we'll be focusing on is Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? After which, on Lord's Day 33, we will discuss bear fruit. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Lord's Day 32, which you can find on page 548 of your book of praise. Since we have been delivered from our misery by grace alone through Christ, without any merit of our own, Why must we yet do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit to be his image, so that with our whole life we may show ourselves thankful to God for his benefits, and he may be praised by us. Further, that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by its fruits, and that by our godly walk of life we may win our neighbors for Christ. Can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and impenitent walk of life? By no means. Scripture says that no unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, thief, greedy person, drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like, shall inherit the kingdom of God. So far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, what is the purpose of repentance? 
Why do you repent, and what do you hope to accomplish by it? Some people turn away from sin because they don't like what's happening to them as a result of sinning. It's like the man who sticks his hand into a fire and is burned, and he's not going to do it again because it hurts. Some people turn away from sin because they think that the turning away itself will appease God. That's the person who puts a check mark beside their repentance as if the action itself balances the books. But turning away from sin is not what puts us right with God. Any more than doing good works makes us right with God. Our Lord's Day today reminds us. Christ does that, and Christ alone. So what's the purpose of repentance then? Why repent? Why do things differently? Why change your life? We'll look at this under the following theme, fleeing from wrath and living in thankfulness. First of all, we'll look at that wrath. Second, what fleeing does not mean. And third, what fleeing does mean. The word that's used here for wrath is the wrath of God against sin. It's God's indignation with wrongdoing. And the word that's used here points to not just indignation, but a judgment that follows. Now, we live in a culture that doesn't like the word wrath. To talk about judgment is not a part of polite conversation. And what's, what that's led to is this. A culture in which we don't always feel comfortable talking to each other about sins. Not only do we not feel comfortable talking about sins, we don't even really always know how to confront sin in a loving manner. And we also don't always equate confronting sin in someone else's lives or in our lives as being loving. It's painful Is it not just easier to let sleeping dogs lie? The consequence of this being part of our Canadian culture is that we've fallen out of the practice, out of practice in receiving correction from each other as well. We receive it as overly painful. We lash out in anger at those who try to correct us. We take it as an attack on who we are as a person instead of as a comment on a particular behavior. And we respond with bitterness, withdrawing, instead of being willing to be vulnerable. But we don't do anybody any favors by looking at sin in this way, do we? Not by not reaching out to each other and not by responding to someone reaching out in this way. And here's why. Sin, at its heart, grieves God. And for the unrepentant sinner, it does lead to judgment. Flee from the wrath to come. This would have been something that rang out over the people time and time again as John spoke. And it's something that he presents again before the Pharisees. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? 
His warning here is that this wrath is coming. This isn't something that is just out there in the air and it might strike somewhere like lightning at random. No, there is a certainty here. This wrath is coming. You can compare it to someone who is asleep in a burning building and then you come and shake them awake and warn them the house is on fire. If they hear the warning and they listen to the warning, they are saved from death. When you yourself are grounded in the grace of God and you see someone stumbling towards judgment, then it's an act of love to draw their attention to the wrath of God against sin. Because to be unrepentant and to continue to live unrepentantly is neither a good nor safe way to live. It's a way that leads to disaster. Our catechism puts it pretty plainly. It says, by no means, Scripture says that no unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, thief, greedy person, drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like, shall inherit the kingdom of God. This isn't just the catechism that speaks this way. It's a warning that's drawn from Scripture. In the letter to the Galatians, we read, now the works in chapter 5, verse 19 to 21, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I have also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We see this warning brought up again in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 10, with that same phrase at the very end, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are not exhaustive lists. They just describe what unrepentant living looks like. And the warning is this. If you continue to live unrepentantly, you show that your trust and your treasure lie elsewhere. And if your treasure is not with the kingdom of God, then you will not inherit the kingdom of God. When John the Baptist was preparing the way, he was preparing the way for the kingdom of God. When he was warning of wrath with messages of thundering judgment, he was warning what could and would happen to those who do not inherit the kingdom of God. Although speaking boldly, his words were still words of love. The words and actions of one who is waking up those in danger of a house that's burning down. For those he was preaching to on the banks of the Jordan River, he didn't want them to face the wrath of God. He is the one who is seeking to call all men to repentance because he wants them to enter with him into the kingdom of God. He wants them to know Christ. Where John's heart is, is an example of where each of our hearts should be when we confront sin. 
Being aware of sin and of God's wrath against sin is to be aware of the fact that the house is on fire. It's simply stating a fact. Sin is horrible. And its effects on us and on those around us are terribly damaging and painful. And unrepentant sin will lead to destruction. Yet our heart's desire is not to dwell on that first and foremost. But we bring that up with a purpose. Our heart's desire is to point those who are unrepentant, not just to the damaging effects of their sin, not just pointing your eyes to the great cost that comes with it, Our heart's desire should be to let that awareness spur us on as we point their eyes to Christ. Because we're not just warning them that the house is on fire. We are showing them the way out. And this is where it should always end. Pointing each other's eyes to the one who rescues us, who frees us from the chains of sin, and who redeems us taking the penalty of the wrath of God on himself. Our heart's desire is always to point them to Christ. This brings us to our second point, what fleeing does not mean. What does this mean then to flee from the wrath to come? We see this list in Lord's Day 32 where it describes the things of Scripture. Does it mean that for us to be saved, we have to leave this particular list of sins behind? Does it mean that we need to become more righteous somehow? Here is where our Scripture reading and our confessions are very clear. The answer to that question is no. We are not saved by not being an unchaste person. We are not saved by refusing to be an idolater or adulterer. We are not saved by stopping being a thief or a greedy person. We are not saved through ending our drunkenness and taking control of our tongues so that we stop slandering. We are not saved by not being robbers. John the Baptist knew this as well. Repentance is not an end in and of itself. Turning away from sin alone does not save you. Turning away from sin has a purpose. And letting that pe- the people know that purpose was John's whole reason for existing. John, you see, was, as we read in our passage today, the fulfillment of prophecy. In the Old Testament, 700 years before he came, the prophet Isaiah described him. He said, John was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. He was the one who was there to prepare the way for the Messiah. John the Baptist was the one who was there to call people to look at their sin and remember the wrath of God and humble themselves before him to repent. But here's what John was not. John himself was not the Messiah. 
He was asked that on several occasions. And he said, and did not deny, but said, Scripture repeats it for emphasis, that he was not the Christ. He called men to see their sin and to humble themselves, to flee from sin. But just fleeing from sin is not what saved them. Just trying to live better lives is not enough. And this is where the second part of that word, to flee, comes to mind for us. We don't just flee from something, but we flee to something. We flee to safety. Here's where the Pharisees and the Sadducees described in our passage ran into trouble. Look at how John the Baptist describes their thinking in our passage today. John says, don't think to say we have Abraham as our father. It seems that they were holding up Abraham as if that was some kind of protection. But what was meant by that? By calling themselves children of Abraham, they weren't talking in the New Testament sense, namely that they were sharing in the faith of Abraham. They were talking about sharing in the traditions passed down since Abraham. They were saying they found their safety in who they were as a nation, descended from Abraham. They found their safety in what they did. Their actions made them right before God. Now what John was doing in baptizing people, ritually washing them, was not something that was unfamiliar to them. The Pharisees in particular had a whole host of ritual washings that cleansed and that purified them. They spiritualized washing at every point of the day. Even washing before meals was for them a spiritualized practice. So they got what John was doing. They understood it. It was a picture of the washing away of sin and impurity. And yet, as a group, they thought that they were safe. This, by the way, is John's reason for his question. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come when they showed up? Who warned you? They thought they were safe. Maybe they were looking at the people coming to be baptized and approved of their washing. But as a body, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they didn't see the need of they themselves to come to repentance. After all, they were full-blooded Jews. They held to the traditions passed down since Abraham. They cleansed themselves daily. Why should they need to repent? John Calvin describes their attitude in this way. While God thunders on all sides against the whole world, they construct a refuge for themselves in their own deceitful fancy, for they are convinced that they have nothing to do with the judgment of God. Their belief was that they were saved by not being as bad as the next guy. Their whole life was dedicated to being holier and fleeing from sin, they were not unchaste. They were not idolaters and adulterers. They were not thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers. And yet all of these are false hopes of escaping the coming wrath. 
because in their self-righteousness, they hadn't fled to safety. They had instead built up their own refuge, and they were trying to take cover from God, God's anger against sin in that. For the Pharisees, repentance was not the means to an end. It was not just the way that they were to become aware of their own sinfulness. It was not just a way in which they and we today agreed with God and said, Yes, God, I need you. I humble myself before you. Instead, repentance became an end in itself in their minds. Repentance became a shiny badge that they could hold up before God and say, see how I'm doing the right thing. Their ritual washings showed their outward repentance from sin, that that showed their outward repentance from sin, was held up right next to the rest of all of their works. And it became something that they did in order to add to their list. Fleeing from sin itself became, in their minds, a righteous act instead of being a way that they could flee away from something and to something else, to the only safe refuge. And when repentance just becomes an outward thing to show your own righteousness, instead of an inward recognition of God's holiness, God's perfection, and his right anger against sin, and your own desperate need for him, then your heart gets left behind. And so John warned them. He tells them to give up their false hopes of escaping this wrath, to give up their own reliance on their own righteousness, give up saying we have Abraham as our father, And he points them to Christ. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, he says to them and to the rest of the crowds, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. So what's he saying? John the Baptist is saying that he is not the Messiah. And John's baptism of repentance alone does not save them. What he does by his baptism is twofold. First, he points them to their own sin, to humble themselves before God. And second, in his preparing work, he points them to the coming one, to the one who can save them. So what does this mean for the statement, flee from the wrath to come? John means this. This wrath is coming. There is only one escape. Put off your false hopes of escaping the coming wrath by taking shelter in your own goodness and look to the one who is coming after me. Look to Jesus Christ. This brings us to our third point. What fleeing does mean. What fleeing does mean is this. That when you flee, you flee to a place of security. So what does this mean for our Lord's Day today? 
And what does this mean for you and me today? It means that we have to look at the good things that we do from the right point of view. And that's this. Just as the Pharisees were reminded, our good works don't earn anything before God. All our following the right steps and holding back from sin doesn't do anything to add to our salvation. And that's why it's not in the earlier part of the Heidelberg Catechism either. Only Christ can do that. And in Christ, we are safe. To flee from the wrath to come means to flee to Christ, the only one in whom we find safety. And there's something beautiful and freeing in that. Because each of us knows, despite my best efforts, I still fall short. There are times when we say with the Apostle Paul, Romans 7, I don't do the things I ought to do. And there are times when I do the things I ought not to do. And if I presented my own efforts and I tried to take that, make that my refuge before God, I'd be lost. And so we remember that in our repentance we have fled from sin and we have fled to Christ. And in Christ we are safe. He is the one who cleanses us with a purifying fire, verse 11. A picture of the refining power of his work, completely making us righteous before him. He is the one who fills us with his Holy Spirit, who is the seal of our salvation, and leads us in new living so that we grow every day. This also comes out. In verse 11, the Holy Spirit and fire. Having fled to him and put our faith in him, we can be assured that our place with him does not depend on how we change in life. But rather, our change happens because we have our place with him. Our place with him does not depend on our changing, but our change happens because we have our place with him. This is the beautiful confession of Lord's Day 32, the first question and answer. We have been delivered from our misery by grace alone through Christ without any merits of our own. For those who believe, even when they do fall back into sin, as they return in repentance and in faith, they can be reminded that nothing can shake that salvation. For the sake of the Lamb of God, that wrath passes over. It's a promise that we find coming out in 1 John 2, verses 1 to 2 as well. John the Apostle, not the Baptist. And he says, my dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. We have an advocate. 
He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous, not like ourselves. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. What peace that brings. We are secure in him. And even when we do find ourselves falling back into sin, for those who put their faith in Christ, he is our advocate who pleads our case before the Father. But then why repent? If we have been delivered by grace alone, without any merit of our own, why do good works? If there is nothing we can contribute This is why it's so beautiful that this confession of faith falls in the third part of our Heidelberg Catechism. The thankfulness of our response. It gives us this truth. We are redeemed by Christ's blood. We are renewed by his Holy Spirit. This is who we are when we put our faith in Christ but it is done with a purpose. The Lord's Day continues. We are redeemed and renewed to be his image. That's so different from when you look at it from the other point of view, where I have to contribute. So different when, from when we see Jesus as having contributed part of it and we say, I'll take it from here. We are redeemed by his blood and renewed by his Holy Spirit. We are cleansed to be his image so that we can rest in our new identity as Christ's, as reflecting Christ, and now work to make his name great. We are redeemed to be his image, to reflect his person and his glory, to show off his work that he may be praised by us. If you look at John the Baptist, this was his reason for living. He was already recognizing by God's grace what God is teaching us today. That first, though wrath is coming against sin, you can flee to safety. Second, if you flee to Christ and Christ alone, you are safe. And third, any change that follows that lifts up the name of the one in whom you are safe. And for the one who saved, that's all that matters anymore. Your response becomes, all you want to do is lift up the name of Christ. It's thankfulness. It's pride and joy in Christ. You want to fulfill your purpose on this earth to be his image. It brings him glory. This was John's purpose. This was all he wanted to do with his life, to point to the one whose sandals he was not worthy to untie. Our repentance for the sake of Christ doesn't earn us anything, but it does have an effect. It magnifies his name. 
It shows our thankfulness. Through it, we confess to the world, I want my life to reflect Christ's redemption. I want my marriage to reflect Christ's love. I want my work to reflect Christ's beauty. I want my language to reflect Christ's purity. I want all of my life to show that Christ is at work. And so by the grace of the Holy Spirit, we want to repent and we want to change because it reflects who we are in Christ. It draws attention to Christ as the reason for our change and it makes his name great. Last of all, the Catechism reminds us that we have Christ as, that having Christ as a new priority assures us of our faith. And it wins our neighbor for Christ. This changes everything. In Christ, you're not doing this because you're insecure, fleeing from the wrath to come anymore. You're not living in constant fear. You move and you change because you are secure. For those whose faith is in Christ, you are confident in him. And you want his name and reputation to be big. You want him to be magnified so that your life can work to his glory and your neighbor's good, all for the sake of Christ. Amen.